Hello and welcome to Voice of Real Australia. Each episode we bring you people, places and perspectives from beyond the big cities. I'm Tom Melville. This week we're continuing our series on fire-affected communities one year on from Black Summer. We're going back to the south coast and speaking to residents of Borley Point, many of whom were forced to evacuate to the beach as fires bore down on their homes. Borley Point residents seeking comfort after Black Summer have joined the local RFS. The brigade has seen an influx of new recruits, particularly women and teenagers, looking for a way to help their community and to battle bushfire fear. Doug Dingwall works for the Canberra Times. He was on the south coast in December 2019 at the height of the fires. He went back recently to find out what's changed in Borley Point, a town of just 700. My five-year-old is just obsessed. She loves it. She said the other day that she wants to be a firefighter like mummy when she gets older, which is very cute. She was old enough to kind of know what was going on during fires, and I think having me kind of take this role has given her a little bit more confidence when it comes to dealing with fires as well. She came down this morning and reported to me that it was a high fire danger today. Borley Point resident Samantha Walker joined the Rural Fire Service in March. She's already gained her BF, her Bush Firefighter Accreditation. After surviving the black summer that engulfed the south coast of New South Wales, she wanted to be able to help next time. I was searching for something that would give me the power back, (laughs) give me the control over the situation, and I think that that's what it was. I wanted to do it for my children, and I also wanted to do it for myself, and not just be you know, a mum, like I want to have a bigger role in the community and I want to do my part. The more information and the more knowledge you have, it's just going to break down that that fear, I think. And I think that was a big driving force for me. In late November 2019, the coast was reading for its peak holiday period, but a decade of dry conditions and two years of drought had set the stage for a dangerous fire season. Normally on the south coast we have, you know, high 20s, maybe a low 30s with a very occasional, very warm day, nice cool sea breezes. But last summer I just saw a consistent amount of very extreme weather days and that was obviously great fuel for the fire to just continue on burning in a, um, well, what could only be described as a ferocious manner. Charlie Magnuson is captain of the Borley Point Rural Fire Brigade. He's been with them for nine years and captain for three of them. He's calm and down to earth and the kind of person you'd want leading you in a bushfire. I get the sense that his brigade members are in good hands. On the Thursday the 5th, I was asked by the RFS to step up to the divisional commander here. So I was in charge of over 100 firefighters, probably 20 to 30 fire trucks, two helicopters. So it really threw me in the deep end. So it was a big learning curve. It was quite stressful, I suppose, but I had a lot of good people working with me and that made a hell of a difference. On November 26, a lightning strike started a fire in a remote, hard-to-reach gully of the Currawan State Forest, northwest of the popular holiday town, Batemans Bay. Fanned by strong winds, within a couple of days, it was more than 2,500 hectares. Charlie's thoughts turned to his village, Borley Point. From the fire shed, which is getting close to where the fire came over from the lake, jumped the lake. It came marching up the hill and there is a house on the top of the hill and a house down below it. And those flames were 10, 20 metres above the homes when they came over that hill. 
to be honest, to all of us, we thought, oh, this is going to be shocking. We're going to lose half the village. But all the brigades, fire and rescue, everyone went about their job. The two helicopters arrived as well in uh, stopping it from jumping over the Maramarang Road, which would have seen it go into the large part of the urban community. Stuart Craig doesn't live locally at Borley, but he does volunteer for their brigade. This meant he was pretty much cut off from his home while the car on fire advanced into the village on December 5. I travelled in as early as I could. I was probably here at 7 o'clock in the morning on the 3rd. That same day, the highway got cut and that was it. But the community, they took good care of us too. I mean, they kept us fed. As for conditions, it was the smoke haze. The thicker it got, the closer you knew it was coming. Stewart worked from the fire shed, sending out updates on the brigade's social media channel. But even there, the fires basically came right up to the building. Charlie Magnuson stuck his head into the office and told Stewart to find safety in another nearby shed. Stewart says, despite the drama, the atmosphere inside was calm. A lot of smoke was getting into the shed at the time, so I got them to wet towels and tea towels and stuff like that, stick them under the door cracks and stuff like that so that the smoke wouldn't get in. And that worked for a little bit, but then you had people coming in, like the firefighters coming in because, you know, they're being overpowered by smoke and heat. We had one guy who had blacked out from one of the other brigades and it was all a bit dramatic, but everybody, I was amazed at how everybody kept their cool. I didn't have to worry about anybody being frightened or scared. They probably were, but they weren't showing it. You know, this is just members of the public. And the way they were reacting, that was keeping me calm. So I was doing fine, I thought. Hendrick Boone has lived on the South Coast for 11 years and has volunteered with his brigade for eight of them. Originally from the Netherlands, he came to Borley Point to live out his Australian dream. He fell in love with the place. Hendrick says the fight for the village was exhausting, but it was early days and they had a bit of luck on their side. Not much. We were like up the street here in Oreo at uh, the corner and you actually didn't have much time to let it go for your head because at that moment it passed here and the shed's been really in danger and the two houses over there. Then it came on the other side into Borley and just when it goes inside Borley the wind came in. And it went the other way, which was fantastic for us, but it also meant we all had to come back, jump into trucks, and we had to go to the other sides because it was impacting everywhere, just literally everywhere. And I remember that that night we came back and, again, exhausted. We slept on the floor here. The fact that it was so early in the life of the car on fire helped Borley Point. It meant that more firefighting resources were available for the town's defence. Charlie wonders what would have happened if the fire struck the village even a few weeks later, when it was much larger and hit many communities at the same time. We were lucky to be the first village with the fire to impact into the village, which meant I was given a lot of resources by the RFS and Fire and Rescue. I also got two helicopters assigned to me later in the afternoon. And in the end also, we had a southerly change, which helped put the brakes on the fire and allowed all my ground crew and helicopters to go in and stop the fire in its tracks. Yeah, so we we were very lucky in that sense. Lucky to have all those resources thrown at us. Retiree Carl Noon and his wife were living in their dream home, tucked away in the bush about 500 metres from the centre of Borley Point, when the Caroon fire came. We had five days leading up to it of no sleep, just the fear of not knowing when it was going to come. And I remember coming up to the fire shed on maybe the third, 
and saying, look, when's it going to hit? There was the orange skies, there was smoke, the wind conditions were coming our way, and I felt that we were under imminent threat, and they said, no, it's like 10 kilometres away. It just looks like it's right there because of the orange sky. And every night you go to bed and you just had this orange glow of the car on fire. You think you can sleep, but you just don't sleep. So the day, the 5th, to see the fire coming was, was almost a relief to just know that it was going to be over, be it bad or not. Along with members of the local RFS, Carl fought to save his home while his wife made for safety at the beach. It was like 45 minutes from the first sight of flames till the fireys left. And when they left, the flames were, and I'm not exaggerating, 40, 50 metres into the sky to the east of the house. I said to the fire, I said, what are you leaving for? The trees are on fire. <laughs> I'm standing here, I'm hosing out the ground because all the mulch around the house was all on fire. My pool was lighting up and I'm running around with buckets because my hose wouldn't reach that far. And I said, are you sure it's a good time to leave? And they said, we've got to go and save other houses, pal. <laughs> and I said, okay, yep. Carl's home was saved in the end and he's since joined his local brigade, part of a wave of volunteers up and down Australia's east coast signing up in the wake of the fires. At least 8,000 new volunteers. By the end of the day... Borley Point had been saved. Not a single life, home or business was lost on December 5, 2019. Firefighter crews, aerial water bombing and a late afternoon wind change saved Borley Point from destruction. Helicopters left the area and smoke thinned. Even after the bushfire changed direction, firefighters jumped back into their trucks and moved to its other side to keep fighting. In the evening, as the temperature dropped, they returned to the shed on Thrush Street and slept on the floor. For the men and women of the local fire brigade and brigades up and down the coast, summer had just arrived and the Carlin fire was still raging. Here's Charlie Magnuson again. Look, the smoke and the ash down here in our area and other villages near us blacked out the sky for a long time. It was two weeks before we saw the beautiful blue sky that we're used to. The fire itself, the one thing I sort of talk about is the consistently huge flame heights that we came up against everywhere we went. We've always seen large flame heights in a fire, but not this consistent, not this long over six to seven weeks. It just, it was never ending. And it got to the point where you're just so used to those flame heights, they no longer scared you, but it's still, it's exhausting. The whole thing was exhausting, not just the fighting of it, but just, you know, being there. So um, it was a very uh, hard time for everybody. And you're away from your family as well, as you would imagine. So your families are not knowing where you are from hour to hour during that period of time, which is a festive time. It's an emotional time for all the firefighters and their families. Hendrik recalls the long days. The sound, smell, I remember that being weeks and weeks in smoke. And I take a jump to go to somewhere in January or something. Just done really a long day of work in Bandalong to prepare that and to actually literally fight the fire as well. The same as we did here in Borley. And we're driving back and driving just through the little hills in front of Milton. And you see fire everywhere, literally everywhere. You see a house burning there, a car burning there people standing in tears somewhere else. We'd just done 15 or 16 hours just exhausted. 
I've never been to a war, but I can presume it looks a bit like that. But it was unbelievable. The Karawan fire was eventually brought under control in February 2020, 74 days after that lightning strike in the state forest near Batemans Bay. The fire burnt through nearly 500,000 hectares and destroyed 312 homes throughout southeastern New South Wales. Thanks to RFS volunteers like Hendrick, Charlie and Stuart, 1,889 homes were saved. The figure, which the people of Borley Point are most proud of, however, is the number of people who have joined the local fire brigade since Black Summer, 15. Here's Stuart Craig again. Normally after you have a fire event, you do get a lot of volunteers that come in, but you normally have about a 75% dropout rate, okay? We got 15 members, I think, this time, and you usually find that within a space of, say, three months, they drop out because they think that I'll volunteer, I'll become a firefighter, but they think that they're going to become a firefighter straight away. But as soon as they learn that, oh, no, you've got to be trained before you get on that fire ground, they drop off. I haven't got the time for that, you know, and so they just, they just disappear quietly type of thing. We haven't lost one of the newbies, not one. They're turning up to training every Thursday. It's just a complete turnaround to what I've experienced before. And I think it's mainly because they are local people and because it impacted on, on Borley and they now want to make sure that their community is safe. I met new volunteer Samantha Walker in that RFS shed, which was nearly destroyed by fire last year. Samantha grew up in Batemans Bay. The south coast is her home, but had only moved back to the region from Sydney in December 2019, in the middle of the fires. Samantha now lives in Borley Point and says she's keen to do anything she can for her community. Being caught up in the Carawan fire really kind of gave me that motivation to come and join. Didn't like the feeling of kind of being a bit helpless during the situation, especially with my two small children and my um, father when we were evacuated. So it was just the motivation that I needed to come and be part of the community and just do my part, really. On my visit to Borley Point, I also met Sue Brody in the shed. She was chatting to other volunteers and seemed well at home in the brigade. There was no sign that she's actually one of the newer members after only joining a few months ago. Sue always knew she wanted to help the RFS, but she didn't know the best way. We've lived in the area for quite a while and I've thought about joining, but when we first moved to the area, it seemed like women were making sandwiches and I didn't want to do that bit. But after the fires came through, I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to... It was really frustrating not knowing what I should be doing. Sue was left understandably shaken by the fires. I still get goosebumps actually when I think about the sound of choppers because that's like being in a war zone, just hearing that the whole time. That's one thing I thought I'd never, ever forget. Sue says joining the fire brigade helped her with the anxiety she felt after surviving the blaze. She had been having sleepless nights. She constantly checked around her property for flames. In all honesty, I only just stopped doing it before I joined the brigade. I'd get up and I'd actually walk around just the house bit and make sure that there was no fires. I'd just check and see if I could. And it got to the fact that I couldn't sleep, so I was actually sleeping in the spare room. And I went into the spare room one night and I was lying there and I saw a glow and I thought, there's a fire. And it's on the hill coming towards us. 
And I went out and got the binoculars and I was trying to look at it. I couldn't make it out and I thought, I'm pretty sure it's fire. Went back to bed and I lied there for a minute. I looked up, it's still there. And it looked like it was flickering. And I thought, I've got to do something. So I went and woke my husband up. Then he looked up and said, it's a house light. And I guess that was anxiety. It was just every night. If I saw a house light, it was like, is that, is that a fire? If I saw the light of a truck, is that a fire? If I saw a bit of smoke, is that a fire? If I heard a helicopter, it was like, is that a fire? So, yeah. The Carwin fire continued through December and on New Year's Eve 2019, it surged, threatening South Coast towns again. Samantha had been in Batemans Bay with family but was evacuated to safety with her kids. It was an experience that left a deep impression. At 6am in the morning uh, when it came through on New Year's, it was next level terrifying that I haven't really experienced before. And I think being a a mother now, that added another element of anxiety to it. But also the lack of information coming through, the communications, um, not knowing where the fire was, what direction it was moving in, that kind of thing. It also was another motivating factor for me to join, just so that I have more knowledge. I feel like the more knowledge I have, the less fearful you will be when you're faced with that kind of situation. Sue says joining the Borley Point Brigade has helped her feel in control again. I've learnt so much in a short time, which is amazing, and it's things that you don't think about, but... You know, just all the things like different fuel, different types of fire, how fire starts, if you can tell that it's an arson fire, what hoses to use, how to, like, hose the bottom, don't hose up the top. Just, you know, I feel good. My name's Eva, and I'm just a BF at the brigade. And then I've been here for, like, three years now, but I've just only gotten my BF a year ago. I'm Yet Boone, AF at the Shed. I've been part of the Shed for about two years, but only got my BF as well a year ago. We got it at the same time. Eva and McDonald and Yet Boone, yes, Hendrick's daughter, are two ordinary teenage girls and they're part of the future of the Borley Point Brigade, a future which Charlie Magnuson says is bright because of people like them. Eva was just 16 when the fires hit but had already been a member of the brigade since 2017. I'd only just gotten my BF that I wasn't quite qualified yet, so I would just come up here every day and go out like around patrolling, so I wasn't really allowed to go to the fire. But I just helped out around here in the kitchen and restocking the truck. What was it like seeing your hometown so under threat? Well, it was pretty crazy and it was like kind of unexpected for a lot of us. A bit sad, but it was also good in a way that the community has never been like this close. Yeah, it just brought us all closer. The fire left an impression on 16-year-old Yet as well. It was very emotional when it, and like seeing the community, like Borley Point was just so empty, like not many people and then all the fireys out there tired and trying to help out as much as they could and like protect everything they could and as mostly as they could. Just was quite emotional seeing it all happen and stuff as well. But the worst ever bushfire season hasn't put yet off. She's now one of the youngest firefighters to obtain advanced firefighting accreditation. She plans to continue with the brigade beyond high school, which she'll finish next year. Yeah, it's something I think about for the future because like, 
starting year 12 now, thinking of what I want to do when I'm older, the brigade is something I'm interested in going further in and stuff and helping out further and becoming a leader maybe one day is something that seems good to do and interesting to do and fun as well. Hendrick says getting young people involved is particularly important for a volunteer-based service like the RFS. You do 15 hours in 43 degrees. I'm in my late 40s. That really takes a beating. So it is important to have a young stream ready for, again, if something like this happens. My youngest daughter, 12, now signed up as a cadet, uh, some of the other brigades members, so two of my kids. Yeah, I'm very proud of all the people who've done it, and I'm proud of all the girls who've done it. And we should be, as a Borley brigade, very proud of that, and let's hope that in two years' time still all those new people are here, because, again, we need them. Young people, like Eva and Yet, are going to help small towns and fire-prone areas fight against future bushfires. With people like them involved, Charlie Magnuson is optimistic. This is a first for our brigade over the last couple of years. We've been lucky to have a lot of women join up, especially younger women uh, and a lot of young girls. We've got probably five teenage girls and some teenage boys. They're all just amazing youngsters because I know that at their age, I was either playing marbles or just starting to notice the opposite sex. They're out there volunteering and risking their life at these ages to help keep communities safe. So I really am in awe of those young people. Charlie Magnuson, captain of the Borley Point Rural Fire Brigade, finishing up that report by Canberra Times journalist Doug Dingwall. That's it for this episode of Voice of Real Australia. Thank you so much for listening. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. If you like the podcast, please share it with friends and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Everyone has a story to tell. If you'd like to share yours, email voice at ostcommunitymedia.com.au. That's voice at ost, A-U-S-T, communitymedia.com.au. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash voiceofrealaustralia. Voice of Real Australia is recorded in the studios of the Newcastle Herald. It's produced by Laura Corrigan and me, your host, Tom Melville. Our editors are Gail Tomlinson and Chad Watson. Special thanks this week go to John Paul Maloney and Steve Evans. This is an ACM podcast. <laughs>